This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. We are in a series this summer in the Songs of Ascent. In uh, the middle of the book of Psalms, Psalms 120 through 134, also known as Pilgrim Psalms because of their background in being about pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but perhaps also even themselves being sung or chanted as pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem. And so we're looking today at uh, Psalm 121. We began last week, by the way, of course, with Psalm 120, which probably was not as familiar a psalm to you. Uh, and today, one that probably is uh, more familiar and uh, for some of you, maybe even a favorite. Psalm 121, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord shall not, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would guide us into a good understanding of it. We thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you that you gave it, this psalm and the entirety of Scripture, to reveal yourself to us, to help us to know you and to know your grace in Christ Jesus for our salvation, to know all that you are for us in Christ. And so, Father, as we pray, we pray as we study this this passage before us today, uh, that it would do all that and that you would feed our souls with it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The hazards of travel are not what they used to be. Uh, Our Forebears, of course, uh, would cross oceans in uh, relatively small, leaky vessels, very uncomfortable, a voyage that would take weeks, maybe months. We cross oceans in comfort in a matter of hours. Our forebears in the United States set out into trackless wilderness in uh, Conestoga wagons pulled by oxen, uh, we, we hit the road almost in the comfort of our own living rooms on padded seats, uh, 
in air-conditioned or heated comfort. We even have GPSs. We punch in or even speak in our destination, and it takes us there by the most efficient route, directing us around congested traffic if need be, and by the way, sort of eliminating the need for that natural instinct men have for getting where they're going without asking directions. That may be a gift that atrophies in our digital electronic age. But the hazards of travel aren't what they used to be. But there's still some there. We, of course, when we set out on a, on a road trip, are concerned that our vehicle run well, that it's reliable. Uh, we are concerned that uh, our destination is everything that the uh, website said that it would be. Uh, there are still concerns. Uh, we want to protect, of course, credit cards, cash, whatever, from the possibility of theft while we are uh, away from home, away from familiar environments. Well, these psalms, uh, the songs of ascent, are about, as we've seen, about travel. Uh, and perhaps no of these psalms, none of these psalms expresses concern about the hazards of travel as does Psalm 121. We saw last time in Psalm 120 uh, where the psalmist laments that he is in Meshach, that he dwells among the tents of Kedar. It's a place of misery. It's a place far from the Lord, far from the people of God. And uh, in the Christian life, often is a place for repentance, where we may uh, have, have disobeyed God's commands, where we may have found ourselves in, in difficult circumstances, but we repent, we turn, and we make our way back to the Lord. Well, if that's true, then Psalm 121 is a psalm that focuses on providence. There are dangers. Where is God? Is he going to take care of us? Is he, is he with us? And that's what this psalm addresses, the fears of the open road. In fact, some have even seen here, the, the fears expressed by a new pilgrim or a young pilgrim and an, an older, maybe more experienced traveler, maybe the group answers him back. After all, he begins, I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? And then the rest of the psalm, verses three on, says he will not let your foot. So it's if somebody's asking the question and somebody else is providing the answers. So we could almost look at this as being the the. the the fears expressed of a of a new traveler, but then the assurances of God's providence from one who has been down the road before. Of course, this psalm speaks more than merely to their physical travel. It spoke to their spiritual experience as it speaks to ours as well. So let's look in the first place then at a pilgrim's fears, a pilgrim's concerns, a traveler's fears as, he about, as he's about to hit the open road. And especially in that day, there were uh, certainly things to be concerned about, things to be afraid of or to look after. He begins by saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Why? He asks the question, from where does my help come? Or as the old King James says, from whence cometh my help? Which we tend to misunderstand we tend to, th- to understand that the King James Version is saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and it's from those hills my help comes. The ESV, I think, clarifies that when it puts the question this way, from where does my help come? Now, maybe he's looking to the hills for help. Maybe he's thinking of the hills around Jerusalem, 
will also be present in Jerusalem. But there may be something a little more sinister to it than that. Consider this. He may be looking to the hills not as a source of help, but as a threat. Because the road traveling through hills in those days was a road for concern, dangers in the hills, the threat of injury, of a fall, the threat of bandits, robbers lurking behind the next bend uh, in in a mountainous, isolated roadway. By the way, that's one reason that people usually traveled in groups and not alone was for greater safety. If there was a big group, they'd be less likely to be attacked. So the scene could be he's looking at the hills and he sees them not as a source of help, but which, by the way, is popularized in The Sound of Music, but as, and in that case it was, a place to hide, uh, but not so much a source of help, but a source of danger. He looks at the hills, he sees danger, he says, where does my help come from? But even if there's the tendency to look to the hills as a threat, and we think, well, maybe looking to the hills for help, there was also a wrong way to look to the hills for help. As a place where, uh, as the Canaanites and other pagan cultures uh, tended to do, to make their shrines on hilltops, you know, to plant groves of trees, to set up their Asherah poles and whatnot as places for pagan worship. In fact, one writer, one writer describes it this way. He says, during the time this psalm was written and sung, Palestine was overrun with popular pagan worship. Much of this religion practiced on hilltops. And he talks about how persons were lured to the shrines to engage in acts of worship that would enhance the fertility of the land, make you feel good, protect you from evil. There were nostrums, protection, spells, and enchantments against all the perils of the road. Do you fear the sun's heat? Go to the sun priest and pay for protection from the sun god. Be fearful of the malign influence of the moonlight? Go to the moon priestess and buy an amulet. Are you haunted by the demons that can use any pebble under your foot to trip you up? Go to the shrine and learn the magic formula to ward off the mischief. From where shall my help come? From Baal? From Asherah? From the sun priest? From the moon priestess? So even if there's a tendency to look to the hills for help, it could be in this, in this twisted, in this pagan way of seeking to control the forces of nature through magic, through charms. But I still think most likely the hills are seen as a threat. It's a place of danger, a place of bandits. And that's why he cries out, from where does my help come? And he affirms, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. So that's one source of danger is the hills themselves. Another source of danger is just the, the, the hazards of the road. He mentions in verse 3, his foot slipping. He will not let your foot be moved. That was a danger, uh, that you trip, that you slip on the rocks, that you injure your foot, you injure your ankle, and progress is difficult. It's symbolic of, of sudden or unexpected disaster. Uh, you know what it is to have your foot slip, either twist your ankle or maybe on an icy surface, even though you're being careful. In a split second, your feet fly out from under you and you fall. It can happen very quickly. Well, the scriptures use that expression, the foot slipping or the foot moving, uh, as a symbolic of any sudden disaster. In fact, one of the most famous sermons uh, in, in, in the history of the church 
was preached, on, not on this text, but on a text from Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Uh, and in fact, just a, a phrase of that, uh, of that verse uh, in that song, celebrating God's deliverance, but also his judgment on his enemies. The phrase is, in due time, their foot shall slip. And the sermon, of course, was Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he was saying that the position of the impenitent, rebellious sinner is like that of, of uh, that one of whose foot could slip out at any time and that they are in danger of, of falling into hell at any time, uh, that God should to cause their life to cease and they would drop into hell. Uh, so it's symbolic of, of sudden danger. And in fact, Psalm 73, where Asaph is wrestling with this whole problem of, of why the wicked prosper, why the righteous seem to suffer, he said, as he was wrestling with that, as he was about to fall into despair, he said, my foot had almost stumbled. My foot had almost slipped. In other words, I had almost fallen into this calamity of thinking wrongly. Concerns, another concern is just the hills, the, the, the possibility of injury, the slipping foot, the sun and the moon. Sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Well, there was concern there, and some have seen in that the danger of the heat, sunstroke, danger of the night. Some suppose the moon, the moon had a had a bad influence. Probably that's not really what he's thinking. Probably the sun and the moon are kind of like east and the west. It it it, it is it's comprehensive. Dangers of the day, dangers of the night, all of it. Just this this hazard, this risk. And so these are the things he's thinking about. And, of course, in the midst of this, is God with us? Would God be with us? Or will he forsake us while we're on the road? So as they're setting out, these are some of the dangers that come to mind. The hills and their dangers, the risk of injury, just the problems, the dangers of the day, the dangers of the, of the night uh, while they're on the road. And will the Lord be with them? Now, you know, as we set out on a road trip, we think about things. We want to make sure we're protected, provided for, we're uh, planning ahead for any uh, anything that might come up. But again, the real point of this psalm is spiritual. Who are, as Christian pilgrims, you know, what dangers do we see ahead? What concerns us? And there are all kinds of things that would concern us in this world as we look at going ahead in life, uh, the whole question of money. Do we have enough now? Will we have enough tomorrow? Will we have enough in retirement? Those kinds of questions. Uh, concerns for our nation. Uh, concerns over present sickness or possibility of sickness, things that could come up. Uh, just a vague sense of unease about what the future might hold. Uh, the dangers of sin. We read or hear or know of those whose lives have been devastated by sin, their own, uh, or the sins of others against them. Things that we're concerned for. Uh, there's all kinds of things that we might look ahead and, and be concerned about, uh, whether of a physical nature, spiritual nature, whatever it might be. And we're sort of like those pilgrims who are setting out and there's concern. So we see, first of all, these pilgrim fears, and they're, they're listed through this psalm. However, the point of the psalm, of course, is the pilgrim's comforts, the traveler's comforts, the assurances that have to do with the character of God with who our God is. And we need to see the concerns in light of the character of God. And as you go through this psalm, you see that too. And the, the fears, the concerns are met at every turn 
by going back and saying, this is who our God is. And that's what we need to do. When the concerns arise, when, when fears pop up, you answer them with the character of God. Well, let's look at what those things are, what he says here. First of all, God is our creator. Look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are the source of the perils. This fallen world, uh, the demonic realm, spiritual realm, but it's God who made them. It's God who rules over them. It's God who sustains them. This world may be fallen, but it's still God's world, and he still rules over it. And these perils and these perceived dangers are not somehow outside his providence. They're not outside his goodness. That's not to say things can't happen to us. You read the book of Job, and you learn a lot about that. But to recognize that to whatever extent they do or don't happen to us, God is sovereign over them. He rules over them. So he is our creator. And see, that's his assurance. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He rules it. It's his. It's not as though he's wringing his hands, wishing for the best for us, but impotent to do anything to care for us. He created it. So we need to go back and remind ourselves that our God is the creator. That he's not just pulling for us, he's ruling over us and everything that could conceivably happen and inconceivably happen to us. Now that's encouraging, but it's even more encouraging to know that this creator God is also, number two, our covenant Lord. I don't know if you caught this as you go through this psalm, that a number of times God's covenant name is used. Notice in verse 2, my help comes not just from God, my help comes from the Lord. And you'll notice it's small caps, which designates that in Hebrew, that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the Lord, that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Remember, Moses says, whom shall I tell the Israelites sent me? And the Lord says to to tell, tell them I am, he says, I am who I am, tell them I am has sent you. And that I am is his name, the Lord. The, the tetragrammaton, those four consonants that probably were pronounced something like Yahweh or Yahweh. Uh, but in our English Bibles, the Lord in small caps. And it occurs a number of times. It occurs in verse 2. It occurs in verse 5 twice. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. It occurs in verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. It occurs in verse 8. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Yes, the creator God of heaven and earth rules over us. But he's also our covenant Lord who has bound us to himself and bound him to us as the one who is with us. We are his people. and He is our God. And there's a relationship there so that, yes, we call him almighty God, but we also call him our heavenly father. That he knows us. He cares about us. You see, it's great if there's a sovereign God up there who's ruling. But does he know me? Does he care about me? Does he know the details of my life? And the answer is yes, because he's not just the creator. He is our covenant Lord. So he's our creator, our covenant Lord. And, and this is emphasized here, he is our keeper. Six times in these eight verses, that word keeper occurs. It's from a Hebrew word that means to guard, to watch over, to keep. The emphasis on God as our keeper. And it, it takes form in three ways. First of all, he's our keeper in the sense that he is our guide. Look at verses 3 and 4. He won't let your foot be moved. 
Now, we can take that down to the detail. He won't let you stumble, but it's also he won't let you wander off in the wrong way. He is a guide to us. You know, he he leads us in the right path, but he also says, you know, watch, watch your foot. Watch your foot. You know, the scriptures do that. Scriptures warn us, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, warn against the danger of temptation to sexual sin, to marital infidelity. God's saying, watch your foot. Be careful here. It's a place to stumble. God warns us of the dangers of greed, of covetousness. He says it's idolatry, Colossians. The Lord's saying, watch your foot. But he also leads us in the big picture. He leads us in our lives when we see it, when we don't. And he's leading us surely home to glory, the end of that pilgrim path. So the Lord is our keeper in the sense he's our guide. He's with us. He guides even down to our footsteps. He guides the path that we're on so we don't go astray. But he's also our shade. He's our shelter, our keeper in the sense that he's our shelter. And we see this. And uh, oh, by the way, in, in verses three and four to go back, it's emphasized that God doesn't sleep. That he's always awake. He's always alert, even when we're not. So it's just encouraging to know that our God does not slumber or sleep. You remember how uh, Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. So maybe he's on vacation or maybe he's asleep. You need to wake him up when well, the Lord doesn't sleep. Now, the Lord is a, our keeper in the sense of a shade. Look at verses five and six. The Lord's your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun won't strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, the, the, the picture, of course, is the Lord is a shelter from the, the heat of the sun. He protects us. He's beside us right there at our right hand, and he covers us and protects us from the dangers of the night or the day. So the, the picture, the metaphor is the Lord is a shelter for us. He keeps us in that sense that he is uh, protecting us. There's another picture, and that's used of the Lord as our keeper, as our guard. Uh, not just our guide, not just our shelter, but also our, our guard. Look at verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life, kind of like a bodyguard. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Again, going out, coming in, both ends of the spectrum. The whole day, the whole trip, from the time you leave to the time you come home, the Lord is there, he's guarding you, he's protecting you, he's watching over you. Now this is an encouragement to us, especially when things don't go the way we think they should. And we wonder, well, is God still with us? Well, the answer is yes. And no, he hasn't fallen asleep. He's with us, he's watching over us, he protects us. And so this psalm is a psalm for travelers to remind us that the Lord is with us on the road. You know, as we set out today, we have the conveniences we talked about earlier. We have, we have AAA to show up. We get a flat tire and forgot to inflate the spare, that kind of thing. Uh, but in the Christian life, we have the Lord. He is with us. He is our keeper. It's interesting. I don't know if you noticed. Um, I caught this in Revelation chapter 7. We'll close with this. Remember what the uh, one of the elders said as... John was gazing on pilgrims who reached the end of the road, who, who are in glory, uh, who are redeemed by the Lamb. Verse 15, Revelation 7:15. they are before the throne of God, serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them 
nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, this is our God. This is our covenant Lord. He is with us now to keep us, and he will be with us. He'll be with you to the end. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are that for us and pray that you would continue to guide us, continue to shelter us, continue to be our guard. Father, we recognize that these words do not promise that nothing bad will happen to us in this world, but we recognize, Lord, that you have your good purposes even in the bad, and we recognize, Father, ultimately nothing can snatch us off that pilgrim path to which you have called us that leads to our heavenly home. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us and that you indeed would keep us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.